Well, good morning, everybody. Glad to see you. Happy December. Man, this, uh, 2016 is almost a wrap. Can you believe it? Man, coming uh, here to the end of the year. So glad to be with you. Glad for uh, those of you with us online. Uh, <coughs> we started off this year really focusing on the theme of spiritual growth. We said for 2016, let's emphasize spiritual growth. And so we have said it this way on and off throughout the year, um, be a disciple and help grow others. So really grow in your own followership of Jesus and help take other people along and help them grow towards spiritual maturity. And a huge part of that endeavor was a series that we've been in for the last 13 weeks. Over a year and a half went into the work of developing the materials and also just the concept of taking our church through 13 weeks together where uh, we came to church together, and if we missed, we watched online, make sure that we're at all the uh, messages. We were uh, all in life groups, saying, let's all get into life groups, and so that way the monologue here develops a dialogue with one another where we can really discuss and hash out the concepts we're talking about in a life group setting, and then also get in the book, and each week there's five studies to do as an individual. And so many of you have done that. I just want to say I'm so proud of you guys for taking it on. Our desire and hope is that we would have a spiritual growth spurt as a church, that we would raise the bar overall of our spiritual maturity. And I really have heard back from so many of you that that's exactly what God's done in your life. And so we thank God for your faithfulness. We thank God for what he's done in his faithfulness to help us grow. Now, I just want to take us on a review of what we're calling the fruit of new life, because we really believe that as we grow, uh, we will start to change the way we see ourselves Uh, We don't just change what we do, we we really start to see how Christ changes who we are. And so we've identified these six six characteristic traits that we grow in when we start to grow in Christ. And so I'm just going to walk around and get a little bit mobile here. Uh, If you're in the balcony and you lose sight, my apologies, get with you in a minute here. Um, So we started off uh, this series really focusing on this concept of being a beloved child. We really start at the foundation. Hi, how you doing? No, no, it's it's okay. It's all good. Better late than never, you know? Uh, Just joking. Uh, Beloved child. We talk about being a beloved child. That where a lot of religion takes you is like what you do for God. And then you get stuck in this myth that um, God's more concerned about what you do instead of like who you're becoming. But when you start to see yourself as a beloved child of God, you really start to understand that God loves you. He's your father. And, and everything we do, why do we pray? Why do we serve God? Why do we give money? Why do we go to church? Why do we, you know, love on people? It's because we see ourselves as recipients of this incredible love from a heavenly father. And so we start to approach God as a beloved child. The reason some of you still struggle in your relationship with God is you don't see yourself as a beloved child. And just like a human parent looks at their kids and might say, you drive me crazy, um, I'm not necessarily happy with you in the moment, There's, but, but the parent would never say, I, I, I rid you of my life, I, I disown you. There's, you, know, I don't love you anymore. And even though the unhealthy parent out there might tend that way, a healthy parent would never do that. And we've got the ultimate parent, the perfect parent, the perfect Heavenly Father, looks at us as a beloved child. And so we uh, interact in a very intimate, powerful relationship uh, with God as a beloved child. And as you build on that, you go from being a beloved child to self-feeder. As a self-feeder, we understand that we, we take initiative. We, we step out and take initiative for our spiritual growth. We don't come to church for someone to spoon-feed us, right? We don't need to have our hands held. 
As we start to grow in our relationship with God as a beloved child, we start to desire the things of his word. We start to desire the godly things. And what happens is we want to feed ourselves. Like, I don't think anyone needs to tell you how to feed bre- you know, breakfast. I don't think any of you go to the table in the morning and just wait, sit at the table and wait for someone to feed you. If that's happening, we need to talk. But outside of that, you feed yourself breakfast. You feed yourself lunch. You feed yourself dinner. You're hungry, you go eat. This is the same thing that happens for us spiritually. Now, I'm hungry spiritually, so I'm going to go eat. I'm going to take initiative. I'm not going to wait for somebody else to spoon for me. I'm going to take the initiative for myself. I'm going to get into the Bible. I'm going to get my prayer life. I'm going to become a self-feeder. And then there's a servant. Now, we look at the life of Jesus, and, and Jesus served. I mean, we looked at the beautiful moment where Jesus washed the feet of his disciples. He demonstrated ultimate servanthood. And when he died on the cross, when he rose from the grave, he demonstrated the most ultimate act of service to humankind, that he would die for the sins of mankind and raise. And so we emulate our Savior when we try to humble ourselves to serve other people. How can you serve your spouse? How can you serve your family? How can you serve the people you work with? And we we look at our time. How can I serve God? How can I serve others with the time that God has given me? We looked at uh, the talents that we have, our abilities. How can I serve God with the gifts and the abilities he's given me? And so we grow in seeing ourselves and operating as a servant. And then from there, we launch over here on the other side of the wall. We start to see ourselves as an investor. Not only do we give of God from our time, not only do we give God from our treasure or from our um, talents, but we also give from God from our treasure. And, and when we look at ourselves as investors, what we're understanding is everything that we have, every possession that we quote-unquote own, right, every dollar that's been given to us, every material possession is all from the hands of the Father, all material blessings from God. And he didn't just give them to us so that we can enjoy them for ourselves, but he's given to them to us so we can leverage them to grow his kingdom. And so as investors, we look at the money we have, we look at our homes, we look at our cars, we look at our possessions, we look at all these things that God's allowed us to have and say, how are we investing them into the interest of God, not just my own interest? And so we start to see ourselves as investors, and we start to grow as investors. From there, as we continue to mature spiritually, we see ourselves as disciples. Now, as followers of Christ, as Christians, we're all disciples, which means student. We all know that we're students, so we're disciples. But part of the life of a disciple is to help make other disciples, to grow other disciples, to help teach other students. And so we all should be taking on the identity of being a discipler. Who are you discipling? What young man or young woman are you pouring into to help them understand the things of God? Uh, what person who, who, who maybe is in your life is, is less mature than you spiritually that you're helping move along the continuum of spiritual growth? And so what happens is we get, you know, these blinders on our life, and we're just so fixated on our life and our growth and what we get, and we forget that God wants to use you to grow others. If you're a follower of Christ, I bet that God used other people in your life to grow you. There were other people that sat down with you, and they opened up the Bible with you, and they, they taught you how to pray, and they taught you how to read Scripture, and they invested in you. It's just your turn. So how are we growing as disciples? And then the last concept that we've been looking at is this missionary. We use the expression here that we're missionaries cleverly disguised as whatever, fill in the blank, right? Uh, A barista, a lawyer, a craftsman, whatever. So wherever we go, within three feet of us, there's a zone, and whenever God brings someone into that three-foot rule, you're on. There's a reason God brought that person into your life, whether you're a patient in a hospital or the nurse in a hospital, whatever it is, we're missionaries, always talking about the Lord, always sharing with people the understanding of following Christ. And so uh, we live for his mission, whether that's the person next door as a lifehouse 
or whether that's across the globe as we go live on mission, reaching unreached people groups. And so these are the six characteristics that we've spent the last three months focusing on. And our desire was that we would all elevate our understanding of those things, but also elevate our ability to operate out of those. And so uh, we might be closing the chapter on a formal teaching series, but really what we've done is we've opened another chapter uh, on living out these six characteristics on a whole other level, that that they would uh, change us. I'm going to start to see ourselves and operate out of these six characteristics. So uh, what we want to wrap up our time with, I think this is very appropriate, is as you think about growing in the Lord, whether this is your first time with us or whether you've been all 13 weeks, here's the thing. Whatever growth has happened in your life, whatever the Lord has done to grow you, stretch you, and develop you spiritually, here's a reality that we can't forget. It will be met with resistance, right? Your spiritual growth and your desire to live out the things of God is met with resistance. Some of that resistance is internal, It's our own flesh, it's our own sin, it's our own desires that wage war against what God wants to do in our life. Like, like we don't need a devil, we don't need the world, because we can sabotage it ourselves. We don't need any help, right? And so uh, there's internal resistance that when God says, I want you to give this way, when God says, I want you to live this way, there's something inside of us that just goes, no, you know, and that's the flesh, and that's our sin. So we have internal resistance. So some of it's internal, some of it's cultural. We do live in a world that basically says, God, stay out of my business, right? We just live in a world that doesn't want God meddling in our business. And so whether it's you know, the, the structures, the constructs, the people you work with, whatever, the world has a genuine disposition against the things of God. And so some of the resistance uh, is, is, is cultural. Like, you want to change the atmosphere of a room? Bring up the name Jesus, right? You want to change the temperature in a conversation? Start talking about Jesus. What is that? It's that cultural, external resistance to the things of God. And so we have internal resistance. We've got some cultural resistance. But here's the thing that we're going to focus on today as we wrap up the series. There's also spiritual resistance. There's spiritual resistance. Like we can't forget this very important concept. We don't live in a playground. We live in a battleground. And there is a very real God who loves us. And there's a very real devil who hates us. This is just the reality. And I know for some of us, um, we, we tend to swing from one extreme to the other. Some of us are overly fixated like, on the devil. It's like, oh, I, I got a flat tire on the freeway. The devil's out to get me. Mm, well, it might have just been the truck that went down an hour before you that dropped the nail, okay? So let's not over-spiritualize and the devil's behind everything bad. Sometimes it's just stuff happens or sometimes we do it to ourselves. But at the same time, we don't want to go to the other extreme where devil, there is no devil, because that's exactly what the devil wants you to believe, that he doesn't exist. In fact, in our Live New book, on uh, page 264, it says this, one of the devil's schemes is to convince us that he's not real, that his followers, the fallen angels, are not real. He wants us to be oblivious to the fact that there's an invisible war going on around us. And so we have a God who is for us, and we have a spiritual adversary who's against us. And the thing I think is so important to understand, too, is we're not talking about two equal forces. We're not talking about uh, the yin and the yang, and there's a good and there's a bad, and they're equal and they're fine. No, we have God who's creator, master, supreme, sovereign over all things. And we have a fallen, rebellious angel created by God. He, God is superior. The devil is inferior. 
And for whatever reason, God has allowed him a season where he can wreak havoc. And we can, you know, poke holes in that theologically and look at that like, why does God do that? For some of us, it's, it's, we understand it's just contrast. You don't know good until you know evil. For some of us, it's just the fact that God's testing our faithfulness. What will happen when we live in an environment where testing is allowed? Will we be faithful to God or will we not be faithful to God? There's a lot of reasons uh, why God may have allowed the evil one here. But here's the thing that we do know, it's real. The devil's real, and uh, there are thousands, if not millions, of angels that God created, and most serve the Lord. But the devil, Lucifer, Satan, whichever name you want to refer to him by, the father of lies, uh, convinced a third of the angels to side with him in his rebellion. And we live in a world where we're caught in the crossfire of the things of God and this devil who wants to inflict damage to God, and since he knows he can't inflict damage to God, then he goes after what he can inflict damage to, which is us. If you're a parent, you know very well that one of the quickest ways to hurt the heart of a parent is to hurt their child. And so the devil knows he can't hurt God, but what if he can hurt his children? And so we live in this crossfire of this world. And so what I want to do is we wrap up this series. Uh, it's very important that we uh, wrap it up going, God has given us, and this is very important, God has given us power. Because in Christ, we can overpower the one who wants to overpower us. It's so important that in Christ, we have power over the one who wants to overpower us. And I want to take you to a very peculiar passage in the Bible today. I'm going to invite you to open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19. There's a lot of passages in the Bible that uh, speak to spiritual warfare. Uh, you see in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus authoring to uh, demon-possessed people and casting demons out of people. Uh, you see language that speaks to about like spiritual territory and how uh, demons are basically trying to own particular components. There's, there's war that's spoken to. God's uh, given us instruction in several places about how to do spiritual battle. But I want to take you to a passage that's not commonly talked about in the spiritual war uh, discussion, and it's a, it's, a, it's a moment where we look at the opposite. What happens when you don't understand exactly what's taking place in the spiritual realm? And so I want to invite you to Acts chapter 19, and in a moment, we're going to read it from verses 11 through verses 20, but before we do, very appropriate that we pray. Let's pray. Well, Father, thank you for being master, ruler, king, sovereign over all. God, I know right now that as we talk about you, as we talk about a devil, we talk about demons and angels and all these things, Lord, I know that some of us here fully believe, fully understand. God, some of us are naive and undereducated. God, some of us are doubters and we don't believe. Lord, meet us all in the place of need that we have. God, move those who don't believe to a place of belief and move those who have limited belief and understanding to a greater place of understanding. And God, for those of us who have a full understanding, even deepen and enrich that more. So God, be with us, protect us, guard our hearts and minds as we look at spiritual warfare. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray, amen. Acts 19. Acts 19, we're going to look at verse 11. Now, what we're about to see here is uh, a moment in the beginning of the early church. This is the Apostle Paul. And what he's doing is he's planting a church in the city of Ephesus. He is breaking ground spiritually. Now, Ephesus is a place of great strongholds spiritually. This is a very superstitious culture. This is a very um, occultic, dominated uh, environment. Uh, there's a lot of people who practice witchcraft. There's a lot of people who have occultic practices. They believe in false you know, gods, all of these things. And so God is trying to use the apostle Paul, a man who wants to not know the Lord, 
who came to know the Lord, who became a beloved child of God, um, to, to make uh, inroads for the gospel to build a church in this place of Ephesus. And he was using peculiar ways to get Paul noticed. And so what we see in verse 11, Acts chapter 19, is this. And God was doing, what's the next word? Extraordinary, extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. Then we're given an example. So that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their disease left them and the evil spirits came out of them. And we look at this and go, really? So what you're you're trying to tell me is that this man of God, Paul, during this season in Ephesus, if an article of clothing that he had touched or that he was wearing was taken to people in Ephesus, if they were sick, they were getting healed. If they were being demonically oppressed, the demons left them. Uh Uh-huh, that's what the Bible's teaching. And for me personally, it's like this feels very reminiscent of what we saw God doing through Moses in the book of Exodus. Like, I don't know about you, but God did some extraordinary things to Moses, did he not? I don't think everybody parted the Red Sea. I don't think we saw these 10 plagues happen on a regular basis. God was using his Moses servant in a peculiar, unique, extraordinary way to get Pharaoh's attention, as well as the Jews' attention, to say, this is a powerful servant of mine, and I'm doing something amazing among you. And so he anointed um, Moses to do some very unique, peculiar, extraordinary things. In the same way, you've got the Apostle Paul now, that here he is in Ephesus, This is a spiritual stronghold, and for me, I almost see the playful mockery of God. Like, I don't know about you, but sometimes we don't give God a personality. Like, he's just this, like, cosmic force, like Star Wars, you know what I'm saying? No, no, this is the the Lord. Like, we have senses of humor, some of us better than others, you know? We've got a sense of humor because we're made in the image of God, which means God's got a sense of humor, okay? Seriously, if you've never heard that in a church, please hear it. God has a sense of humor. Just look at some of us, you know? (laughs) Go no further. And to me, I'm just going, it, I could just see a small grin on God's face that you've got all these demons, you have all this demonic stronghold in Ephesus, and they think they got things covered, and God says, you know what? My power is so great, and my power is so beyond your power that I'm going to let articles of clothing put you to shame. I'm going to take something that my servant Paul's wearing, and I'm going to allow it in a very extraordinary way to be taken, and if someone is touched by it, whatever's ailing them, spiritual, demonic, infirmity, whatever, is gone. Like, it's just God's way of going, my sock can take you out. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) I think God's just doing some crazy stuff here. So this is the environment that's happening. This is what's taking place. Paul. A beloved child of God is, is having effective ministry. He's trying to make inroads and it's being met with resistance. But how did he overpower that resistance? He was doing his ministry in the name of Jesus Christ. We know that Jesus Christ is the name above all names, right? It is Jesus who died on the cross for our sins. It is Jesus who rose from the grave to conquer death to conquer sin, to give us victory so that we can have new life in Christ. This is Jesus Christ. There's no name like Jesus. Paul's doing the work in Jesus, but this gets out in Ephesus. Look what, look what happens as we continue on. We see here, then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Let's just stop there for a second, see what's happening here. 
So because this is a very supernatural culture, because there's a lot of activity taking place in the spiritual realms, uh, there are basically Jewish exorcists. These itinerant Jewish people, what they do is they walk around making a living off trying to cast out demons and you know, help people out when they feel like they're experiencing spiritual oppression. And so they've got charms and they've got incantations and they have all of these things that they use to try to you know, rid, rid people of demonic activity. And what we see here is they catch wind of what's happening through Paul. See, Paul's the real deal. These guys aren't. And so what happens is, man, Paul is talking about things in the name of Jesus, and he's having success. So let us try that. So they try to imitate Paul. They try to duplicate the success he's having spiritually. And so these Jewish charlatans are going around going, hey, in the name of Jesus, who Paul preaches, come on out. And obviously, because of the power of the name of Jesus, some of those demons are responding because of the name that's being invoked. But not all demons are made the same. And we're about to see in a minute what happens when, you're, you, meet, when you meet your match. But what happens is, this is a, a huge moment. They have the right idea. They just have the wrong identity. <laughs> see, they understand that there's power in the name of Jesus, but the problem is they don't know Jesus. And so they're trying to use Jesus out of their own power to win a war. We would never do such a thing, now would we? to try to use God as part of something in our toolbox to win our own personal wars. And so uh, it's really like trying to give a weapon to a toddler. If you give a weapon to a toddler, they don't understand the power of what they're wielding, and so somebody's going to get hurt. And so these um, Jewish itinerant charlatans are out there provoking Jesus, but they're not saying, I say in the name of Jesus who I love and I believe. They're going, in the name of Jesus who... Paul teaches about. So they don't actually have relationship with Christ. And we see what happens when you've got the right idea but the wrong identity in a spiritual war. Verse 14. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Siva were doing this, but the evil spirit answered them, and this is huge, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man on whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered um, all of them, and overpowered them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. Do you see what just took place? These guys tried to fight the spiritual battle in their own strength. And they were trying to use the name of Jesus ineffectively because they did not have a relationship with Jesus. And look at the, look at the um, precision of this demon. <laughs> oh, I know Jesus. Notice he didn't say I know about. See, the demons are fully aware of who the Son of God is. They're fully aware of who Jesus is as God in the flesh. Oh, I know Jesus, and this is interesting, and I recognize Paul. The demons know God's servants. The demons know the effective servants of God. They know who Paul is, and Paul is kicking tail and taking names in the spiritual realm. Through the power of Christ, they know about the one who's winning wars because he knows who he is in Christ. And then they looked at these men and said, but who are you? Another way to think of that is, who do you think you are? <laughs> I think that's a fair question today for all of us. Who are you? When it comes to spiritual things, when it comes to relationship with God, who are you? Are you just a person going to church? 
Are you just a person that hopes if you get enough good works, get enough church services in you, then maybe God will forgive you and love you and accept you? Or are you a person who recognizes that God is an amazing heavenly father who loves you unconditionally to the point that the sin that keeps us apart from him, he eradicated the penalty of that sin by coming down in the flesh, going to the cross, dying on the cross, and when everyone thought it was game over, rose from the grave, ascended to heaven, is coming back. Are you a beloved child of God who has faith in Jesus Christ? That if you were to die today, you know for sure, without any hesitation, that you would go to heaven. See, these guys didn't know that. They had no clue. Paul did. They didn't. Who are you? I would just plead with you, if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, you're living a very dangerous life. Because we don't know when this life is up. And there's only one factor that determines whether you go to heaven or whether you go to hell. There's only one factor that determines whether you experience God and all his love and all his glory and all his mercy and all the things God has for you. And you live this life just wandering through a desert, never being fulfilled. And it's having a relationship with the living God through Jesus Christ our Lord. If you don't know Christ, you have to come to Christ. You have to come to him and say, I believe And whatever I don't understand and don't believe, help me to learn to understand and believe. And so what we see here is the effectiveness in the spiritual war by the people of God who know who they are and the ineffectiveness of people in the spiritual war who don't have a clue about who they are in Christ. Now, here they got beat up. Major event happened. What happens from there? Continue on. Now, After all this happens, verse 17, and this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. It means that the name of Christ was lifted up. There's one name above all names, Jesus. And what happened is this word got out in Ephesus, which is not some little city, by the way. This is a huge city. Word got out about the power of the name of Jesus. And in the, in the names of all those little demons, all the little beliefs, all the little occultic deities, all those things, the name of Jesus became one that was over all of them all because of the power of Christ. This is our hope, right? That the name of Jesus would be lifted up in our life, and the name of Jesus would be lifted up over the world. And what happens is everyone realized who the Lord is and the power of the Lord. And people started coming to Christ. Look at the next section here. Also, Many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all, and they counted the value of them and found out that it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. This, This is huge. What we see here is that those people who were followers of Christ, once they saw the power of Christ and started to understand that there's a separation between who they used to be and what they used to be about and who they are in Christ started to get rid of the things of the old self. Because a lot of these Ephesians had books that they had bought. It's not like you could go down to the library or down to Barnes & Noble and buy a book. Like these are scrolls. A lot of these are handwritten or copies that are handwritten. They cost a lot of money. And people would take these spells and these incantations and they were superstitious and they would, they would say these things and rely on these things for fertility or for wealth or for health or all these things. And once they realized that those things are inadequate, 
Those things do nothing because of the power of the living God. They realize it's game over, and they collected all that stuff that was tied to the old self. They came together and had a big bonfire. Now, there's a lot of points in this passage, by the way, which are descriptive, not prescriptive. Like, for example, back to the healing that God was doing that was exceptional to Paul. Like, that was, that was for a moment. I don't recommend you take any clothing item from any pastor at this church and try to do something with it, okay? Like, if you try to take a piece of clothing from any of us pastors to go try to heal someone, they're either going to get sick and a disease, or they're just going to be silly disappointed. You know what I'm saying? Like, it doesn't work that way. Here, it's not saying you've got to take everything that's bad and just go burn it. You know, I mean, it's not that you can't, but that's not what's being taught here. What's being taught here is they cut ties with the old. They severed the old self. See, it's hard to live new when you got the old laying around. And the reason that some of you are still struggling in your spiritual life is because you're trying to live for Christ, but you've still got some old stuff sitting around. Old relationships, old habits, old behaviors, old addictions that are still present in your life. Now, some of us have lost loved ones to cancer. Some of us have cancer right now. If you go to the doctor and the doctor says, I can give you a couple options. I can get rid of everything or I can leave a couple cells floating around. Which would you choose? Get it all gone. All cancer cells out of my body. Let's get, all, let's get rid of it. But spiritually, we leave the cancer cells sitting around. We say, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to read the Bible. I'm going to do these things. But I'm going to leave this one little relationship here because, you know, I, I'm having a hard time letting it go. Or this one behavior, or this one addiction, or this one little thing that reminds me of who I used to be uh, without Christ. No, when we, when we live new in Christ, we get rid of the old. And these people made a clean cut and severed the ties of the old self to move forward in living new. Because sometimes when we leave that old stuff laying around, it tries to remind us of who we were before Christ and tries to pull us back into relying on ourself or whatever we were relying on before we relied on Christ. And so they made sever, they cut the ties. So important. And in verse 20, like all these verses, like we started with verse 11 to stick the landing with verse 20. What's the outcome of all this stuff? So that the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. That's what we're after. All this stuff with, you know, crazy miracles going on, all the stuff with demonic activity and having power over that which tries to overpower us, all of that comes back to verse 20. So that the word of the Lord, the gospel, the good news of Jesus would grow. The word is oxano. It means to increase and to grow. And that, and that the word of God prevail, which means had force to win over. This sounds like an echo of Matthew when Jesus said, and the, um, the uh, gates of hell will not be able to prevail. And so I'm under the impression that we're a church that's trying to see the word of the Lord increase and prevail, amen? Like there's things going on in Northeast Ohio that only through the power of Christ are going to be broken. There's things going on in your home that only through the power of Christ will be broken. There are things going on in your life and your heart that only through the power of Christ will be broken. Some of those addictions that you keep trying to beat, you can't beat them on your own power. You are now trying to be a son of Siva rather than a Paul. You've got to come and say, in the name of Jesus, this needs to be out of my life. God, help me break this. There are things going on in your, your family dynamics. There's things going on in our city. There's things going on in our world that only are going to be conquered through the power of Christ. And so we have to be people who are about that. Now, what do you need to look out for? 
Because we need to realize that part of our hope here is that we are trying to sensitize our spiritual radar. That we're trying to become more spiritually attuned and astute to know how to fight the battle. Like, for example, we need to be reminded in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 12. It says this, Finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Before continuing on, remember, whose strength is it? It's the Lord's. Whose might is it? It's the Lord's. It's not our strength, our might. It's the Lord's. Finally be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly place. Like, this is huge. Because here's, here's where we get twisted up. Many of the battles we're fighting are spiritual in nature, but we don't know it because they manifest themselves in the flesh. They, manis- they manifest themselves in conflict at home, at work, in life. And so, yes, not every bad thing has a demon behind it, but not every bad thing may not have a demon behind it. And so we have to remember that. In our Live New book, we put it this way. It is a terrible mistake to think that after we become to Christ, all our troubles in life are over. The fight that you had at work, the trouble you're having at home, the conflict you're in with a Christian friend. We don't wrestle or struggle or fight against mere flesh and blood. There is a spiritual struggle behind and beyond the relational struggle. Like I've shared before, that I had family members, that when I started growing Christ, I had family members come against me. Like, look, sure, there might have been stuff in their life, in their flesh that was huge. There might have been stuff that was um, uh, annoying them or provoking them, but there was something at work behind that. That, that fight with your spouse or your mom or dad or that fight with your friend, yeah, guarantee that sin and ego are somehow in the mix, but you know what? There may be more in the mix behind that. And so we have to peel back the veil and realize that there's a spiritual war going on. And we have to fight where that spiritual war is at. Here's what you need to work for. It says to watch out for the schemes of the evil one. Here's, here's what you need to watch out for. Watch out for temptation, right? The devil's a master fisherman. He'll bait the hook, throw it at you, and just wait for you to bite and so you've got to watch out for temptation. You've got to watch out for fear. Some of you are living paralyzed by fear. You will not share Christ because you're terrified. You will not go on a mission trip because you're terrified. You, just, you're just, you live in fear. God does not want you paralyzed by fear. And he has given you power through Christ to overcome that. Because in Christ, you can overpower the one who's trying to overpower you. You also need to watch out for accusation. These are lies. Some of you are still living with lies that have been put into your spirit by a person or by yourself. The devil's called the father of lies. When he lies, it's his native tongue. And some of you are walking around believing lies about yourself and believing lies about life. This is a scheme of the enemy. So you've got to not listen to those accusations and those lies. You've got to watch out for, by bitterness, addictions, distraction, isolation. Some of you have bought into the lie that you're just better by yourself. Or some of you have been so hurt that you're afraid to reach out because you're afraid to get hurt again. And so isolation is just better. That's not what God has for you. Isolation is a scheme of the enemy. Deception, conflict, these are the things that are tactics of our enemy. And some of the spiritual warfare is very brazen 
and very clear. We don't always see that in our culture. All culture takes the things that are demonic in nature. We make TV series out of them. We make movies out of them. We kind of sensationalize them so that they don't seem real. But if you've ever traveled the world, if you've ever been on a mission in another country, sometimes those things are very clear. He's a very real devil. He's very active, and demons are very real. Here it's a little more sneaky and shady. Sometimes things going on demonically are a little more subtle in nature. Like, I'll never forget the first time I really encountered that kind of spiritual resistance. I had a mom call me when I was a youth pastor. She called me and says, I don't know who else to call. She goes, my high school son, he's, he's been sitting in his room for over a week. He's not really taking care of himself. He's not really eating. He's not, you know, showering, all these things. He's just sitting at a desk reading a Bible. And I, he won't talk. I don't know who else to call. Would you be willing to come over? We said, absolutely. So myself and other pastor, we went over to this house talked to the mom for a little bit. We went down to the boy's room, and uh, it, was, it was kind of a scene out of a movie almost. It was dark, and the blinds were drawn. There was even a couple rats in a cage, kind of like looking at me all beady and stuff, you know? And um, it was just kind of creepy. And this young man named Damon was sitting there at this desk. And he, sat, he was sitting there at this little school desk, and he had his hands on this Bible, and every now and then he would just turn a page. And so we walked in and said, hi, Damon, how are you? No response. And we started asking Damon questions. No response. And so we said, Damon, I, I, I don't know what's going on in your life, but we know that God's real, we know the devil's real, we know something's going on here. We're just going to pray for you. And so we just started praying for Damon. And the second we started praying for him, he started to read out loud. So we started to pray louder. And then he started to read louder, trying to drown us out. And so we just prayed for him. You know what happened? Nothing. His head didn't start spinning. He didn't start talking. You know, like, Aah. None of that stuff happened. We just prayed for him. I said, Damon, we'll come check on you tomorrow, man. So the next day we came, walked down the hall, saw Damon at the desk. I go, hey, Damon, how you doing? He looked up, said, I'm doing better today. I'm like, whoa. He goes, thank you for praying. I think the devil left me. And then he started unfolding a story. Damon had spent recent weeks and months getting involved in drugs, getting involved in some sexual activity he shouldn't have been part of, getting involved in some occultic things, and he basically was opening all the doors to let in the influence of the demonic forces. And so over the course of that week, we started explaining the gospel to Damon and his need for Christ and explaining victory in the spiritual realm through Christ. Damon gave his life to the Lord. Damon started coming to our youth group. He started being a disciple. We saw a transformation take place in the life of that kid. The kid who was once overcome by darkness was now walking in the light. So that's what God has for us. There's a war, but in Christ, you can overpower the one who's trying to overpower you, amen? Here's what I want you guys to do. One practical application as you think about fighting the spiritual battles in your living new book uh, at the end of this chapter of this week is a prayer. It's a little bit lengthy. It's a couple pages, but our desire for the prayer, it's not a mantra. Don't, don't just like take that, and, you know, always quote that, but it's a way to start to get you thinking about how to pray spiritually, how to pray through spiritual warfare. And so your homework is to pray this prayer this week. Maybe tomorrow would be a great day. Maybe today would be a great day. Just to sit down and pray through this prayer. And let that be a template to help you know how to pray more aggressively and powerfully through the things that are trying to overpower you in Christ. For some of you, it's coming to Christ. You need to give your life to Christ today. And if you do, you just need to simply invite the Lord into your life, tell him you're going to follow him, tell him that you believe, tell him that you repent of your sin, that you're coming to him. If you do that, on your program, there's a response card, and on that card it says, I'm following Christ. 
Rip that off and put it in the baskets that come by in a little bit to let us know that you're giving your life to Christ, and we'll follow up with you to help you grow in your relationship. A couple other things you need to do. Like this is our last week, finish strong. Finish this week strong as uh, we wrap up this thing. Let it elevate you to a whole nother gear of living for the Lord in your life. And you know what? There are people out there that are held hostage right now spiritually. And right now, what's really going to torque the devil is you show up and you invite them to a Christmas service or you try to you know, love on them or share with them like, oh, now here they go. And he's not going to want to let go, but you just got to keep praying for that person and pressing in and loving on that person. This is a drop in the bucket of a very large topic, but this whole week, man, you'll really learn to grow and fight spiritually if you invest yourself in this week. If you don't have a book, there's still plenty out there. You can grab one. And if you, even if you haven't been with us at all this, this series, do this week and just jump in and uh, learn something this week. It's a spiritual war. But remember, we fight from victory, not for victory in Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, you have the name above all names. And you are a God and you are a Savior. And there is no name above your name. It's the greatest name. And you've given us power over addictions. You've given us power over oppression, depression, all these things. God, in the war that we wage in these broken vessels, you've given us the authority of Christ. And God, I pray right now that uh, we walk in that authority and that we use that authority and that we operate from that authority, that we will not be slaves. God, that we will experience victory in the areas that plague our lives because of Jesus and the power of his name. God, help us to grow in that. Help us to be victorious warriors, fighting these battles in our lives, in our homes, in our communities, in our city, in our world, fighting from the victory that comes in the name of Jesus Christ. So God, we give you these gifts we're about to receive in a little bit. God, we give you our lives to be used for your glory and for your kingdom. Use us, we pray, to fight the war in your name. In Jesus' name, we all said together.